please join me in saying Psalm 147 responsibly by full verse. Hallelujah! How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant it is to honor him with praise. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. There is no limit to his wisdom. The Lord lifts up the lowly and casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God upon the harp. He covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow upon the mountains and green plants to serve mankind. He provides food for flocks and herds and for the young ravens when they cry. He is not impressed by the might of a horse. He has no pleasure in the strength of a man. But the Lord has pleasure in those who fear him, in those who await his gracious name. Worship the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He has established peace on your borders. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth, and his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He scatters his hail like breadcrumbs. Who can stand against his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He blows with the, his wind, and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not done so to any other nation. To them he has not revealed his judgments. Hallelujah. I speak in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I want to talk about psalms of praise. Now, the psalm we read, that we all read together, Psalm 147, is certainly a psalm of praise, isn't it? It is, in fact, one of the last five psalms in our Psalter that form a distinct unit. These are all five psalms of praise of God. And they are united in an interesting sense because with each of these five psalms, they begin with a single word, and that word in Hebrew is Alelu. Alelu translated means praise God. And so, by the way, every time we in our service say or sing Alleluia, what we are saying is praise be to God. Now, the psalm we read is a fine, it's a good psalm of praise. But to be quite candid of these five psalms, my favorite is the next one, 148, because of its exuberance. And I want to talk about these two psalms together. And so with your indulgence, I'm going to read Psalm 148 to you. 
Don't worry, it's short. It's only 14 verses. The psalm begins with the word, of course, Alleluia. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As I say, this this psalm of praise is just exuberant, isn't it? And, and it can be divided very neatly in half. In the first half, the psalmist instructs all the heavens and the heavenly host, all angels, archangels, sun and moon and stars, the waters above the heavens, all above us to praise God for their creation. And then in the second half, the psalmist instructs all the earth, all the people, of course, old and young, rich and poor, leaders and not, but also animals, wild animals, cattle, birds and fish, even creepy things. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. The psalmist commands even the hills and the valleys, the snow and the frost, the trees and even the wind to praise God for their all of this reminds us, doesn't it? Very clearly, you can't help but think of Genesis 1 when God created. And remember, after each day of creation, what did God say? It is good. After every day, it is good. Until the final day of creation, after everything had been created, God looked over it all and said, it is very good. These psalms praise God in a form of, of gratitude, don't they? And that brings to mind an interesting comment by the theologian Dwight Lungsden. Lungsden says that, that worship at its essence is not a time to gather and ask God for favors. He says at its core, worship is not even a time to gather and, and proclaim our dependence on God. He says worship, the foundation, the core, the essence of worship is an overwhelming praise of God in gratitude. An expression, an overwhelming expression of gratitude. 
And if we dwell on the notion of gratitude for a little while, it begins to dawn on us that, in fact, gratitude is the only thing that we can give to God that God does not already control. In a few minutes, as a part of the Eucharistic prayer, near probably 75% of the way into the prayer, you'll hear, hear me say a line you've heard over and over from the table, and it's this. And now we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you, O Lord of all. Our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to have to admit to you for the longest time, that was a head-scratcher to me. Our, our, thanks, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving until finally it dawned on me. That is all we have to sacrifice. Is a sacrifice means giving of something that we control. Well, the reality is the only thing, the only thing in our lives that God does not control is our ability or our decision, rather, as to whom to offer praise and thanksgiving. Only we make that decision. God cannot and does not control that. And by the way, that's the one thing that God really wants us. Praise and thanksgiving. Gratitude. And so, these psalms of praise remind us Remind us that we should express our gratitude to God in praise and thanksgiving, not every once in a while, not even, oh, you know, on a weekly basis, but every day. In fact, to constantly, without ceasing, praise God. Does anybody disagree with any of this? All right, can I get an amen? Amen. That's pretty good. I like that one. Yeah, that was a good one. So great, we're in agreement. So we can go have our Eucharistic meal and go home, right? But that's the rub, the going home part. Because when we leave this space and we go home, we encounter the world. We encounter the world with wars and war crimes. We encounter the world with hatred and distrust in it. We encounter the world with violence. We encounter a world in which kindness is often met with unkindness. We encounter a world with tragedies and tragedies that we all know. Everybody in this room has had tragedy visited on them. And if we want to be honest with each other, we want to be honest with ourselves, every one of us are going to encounter tragedies in the future. So how? How? I mean, it sounds kind of nice in here, in this worship space. You got people in white robes. You got a beautiful choir. You got a fantastic organ. We're all here in the mindset to praise God. It sounds pretty good to praise God without ceasing, but how do we do it when we encounter the world, encounter all of those tragedies? The best answer I can give to that is to tell you a story of a man, one man and his encounter with tragedy 
in his response to that tragedy. The one man is John Claypool. John is dead now. He died in 2005. But I knew John. Darla and I knew John very well. John was the rector at the church we attended in Birmingham. He was the rector from 1986 to 2000. Now, as a a side note, and interestingly, John became an Episcopal priest in the mid-80s. And uh, before that, John had spent three decades as a Southern Baptist minister, Southern Baptist preacher. And he was, by the way, a preacher of not only national, but really international renown. During his days, his early years of ministry, John encountered a tragedy that really formed the rest of his life and formed his ministry for all of his life. John had two children, John Rowan Jr., who was the older, his son, and a daughter, Laura Lou. I've told this story over the last week many times from this space, and I do find with it until right now. Because John meant so much to us. But in 1968, Laura Lou was diagnosed with leukemia, a very aggressive form of leukemia. And what followed was quite predictable. Lots of prayers and visits to the doctor. Lots of prayers and lots of tests and scans. Lots of prayers and lots of medications. Lots of prayers and chemotherapy. Lots of prayers and waiting to see if the therapy worked. And lots of prayers and lots of prayers. Neither the therapy nor the prayers seemed to have any effect. And over the next 18 months, Laura Lou's condition steadily declined. Until one night in 1970, when she was eight years, ten years old, with John at her side holding her hand, she died in her bed at home. As you might expect, this was devastating to John and devastating to his family, and they encountered all of the well-known emotions, denial, shock, resentment, anger, and so on. A cloud of depression descended over the family. It was a month or more before John could climb into the pulpit and preach again, and frankly, I don't know how he could do it that soon. John recounted the the moment when, after several weeks, they gathered as a family for the first time since Laura Lou's death to eat dinner 
And he spoke about saying the prayer, then looking up and seeing across the table the fourth chair, Laura Lou's chair, that was empty. And John said his faith was shaken to its core. He didn't know how he could reconcile what he had been preaching for so many years about a God of unconditional love, a God of grace, and yet a God that allowed this child, his beloved child, to die. John struggled with that and struggled with that. But finally, finally he was able to reconcile it all. He was able to do so when he came to this recognition that if he were to look at Laura Lou's life and see only the fact that it was short and she had died, he could look at nothing but that death. He would be looking at nothing other than what he had lost. And that, in turn, would lead to a life of despair. but he recognized that he had another choice. Instead of looking at what he had lost, he could look at what he had been given because what he had been given was Laura Lou's life for 10 years. As short as it was, Laura Lou's life brought great happiness and great joy to his life and to the lives of others, and he recognized that those 10 years The 10 years that Laura Lou lived were a gift, a gift from God, a gift that neither he nor anybody else had done anything to earn. And then, as he pondered that, he recognized that his own life was also a gift that there's nothing he had ever done to earn his life. And the same is true for each and every one of us. And then John began to realize that if he looked at his lives and the lives of others around us, then what he saw was not despair, but gratitude. And by way of gratitude, he was able to encounter God's unconditional love despite the tragedies and the pain and the difficulties of life. So how do you and I, remember we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we talked about finding joy in life, and this was my question and answer sermon. Y'all remember that one? And we concluded by saying, That happiness is tied to circumstances, but we find joy in life despite hardships by accepting God's unconditional love. And what John realized is even in the midst of tragedies, we are able to recognize and encounter that unconditional love if we look at our lives through the lens of gratitude. That life is gift. And so today, when we walk out of this world, out of this place, and we encounter those things, those tragedies in this life, looking through the lens of gratitude, recognizing that our life 
is a gift that allows us to feel that unconditional love. It allows us to look up and say, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen.